Section seven of Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life and Sayings of Mrs. Partington and Others of the Family by B. P. Shillabare. Section eight. Matter of fact and sentiment said augustus as he gazed from mrs partington's little window his finger pensively resting upon a cracked china teapot upon the sill here is a spot in which to cultivate the flowers of poesy here the imagination may soar on unrestricted wing here balmy zephyrs rising from embowering roses waft ambrosial sweets them is beans planted in the window said the old lady interrupting him what you say is very true there is nothing better for sore than balmy gilead buds in rum and it's so handy to have them in a temperance neighbourhood too where people are too good to keep rum in the house themselves but leave it all to be buried of the neighbourhoods how glad i am always to have it for em they're so kind too always advising me to give up keeping it in the house but dear me what would those poor creatures do if i should i may be committing sin in keeping it but a bad use of a thing makes all the trouble after all augustus was moved but there was so much of the caught earthy in her remark that he was silent i should like to know what he meant about embowling roses murmured she to herself peppermint would be better if he has colic she looked at him earnestly but there seemed no token of pain and she forbore to speak commiseration for clerks shopkeepers is not enough thought of said mrs partington after having been out making some purchases how they do toil and how they suffer one dear pretty young man with a nice black coat on and a gold chain and a starched collar with a caravan on his neck told me with tears in his eyes that he was selling to me at less than he gave for it and i bought it out of the pity though i knowed i could get it five cents a yard cheaper next door talk about moses being executed on one string indeed these poor creatures are rogerses every one of em by the yardstick and are all the time a-dying there's a constant flow of the milk of compassion in her breast inexhaustible like the purse of the gentleman in the story the more that is taken from it the more remains the allusion to moses was drawn from an advertisement of a prodigy violinist who was to play a violin solo from the oratorio of moses upon one string the bouquet look here exclaimed mrs partington in a tone of triumph as she returned from answering the doorbell bearing in her withered hand a bouquet of generous proportions and exquisite beauty with her name written in fair characters upon an accompanying card look here at the bucket of flowers somebody has sent me how charmingly it smells as well as looks and the colour is is all blinded together too so prettily at this stage of her admiration a small belay dropped upon the floor and here she continued is a letter besides written in a beautiful hand from somebody with ornamental corners from your valentine timothy toby close the missive she said not another word took one more inspiration from the bucket and busied herself in preparing the large-mouthed honey bottle for its accommodation it might have been from the projecting lily spear it might have been from a grain of subtle macaboy coming in contact with her eye and it might have been from some deeper cause 
but a tear escaped the area of the right eye of her specks and stood for an instant in pellucid lustre on her cheekbone before passing away through the channels time had worn in her face mrs partington on ventilation we've got a new venerator on our meeting-house said mrs partington but how on airs they can contrive to climb up there to let the excretions go out is more than i can see into but it is such a nice intervention for keeping a house warm what sort of a ventilator is it asked we anxious to get an inkling of the old lady's philosophy it is one of the emissaries replied she sagely and it is ever so much better than professor epsom's because a room is kept so warm and comfortable by it not the least danger of taking cold from draughts of too fresh air it will be a great accusation in cold weather but how will you do in summer we again asked the dame for a moment was puzzled she had not thought of this contingency oh cried she after a few moments reflection aided by the merest trifle of macaboy at the same time proffering us the box i suppose then they will stop it up altogether and open the windows it was an idea worthy of the profound black bonnet and far-seeing specks before us she left us then we watched her from the window and felt anxious about her rheumatism as we saw her right foot sink in a little in an attempt to reach a canton street omnibus any one who breathes the suffocating air of our concert rooms will be reminded of mrs partington's venerator for keeping a room warm our relations with mexico our relations with mexico said mrs partington contemplatively at a glance turned upward to the wall where the portrait of the deceased corporal in rigid pasteboard looked straight forward as if indicating a bee-line of duty that she should follow a sort of pictorial cynoser to which she always looked for guidance our relations with mexico said she some of the poor creatures maybe left there in the late hospitalities too poor to go back if i was president pierce now i'd send right away and bring em all home by the express the mexicans had better not trouble any of our relations i can tell em of course she could tell em there was no doubt of it mrs sled believed she could and ike who was busy in transforming the old lady's new clothes stick into a bat and say a word if there is a weakness in mrs p s character and as a chronicler we should be false to our trust to say that there was not that weakness is love for her relations continually manifesting itself in blue yarn stockings and su chang ti the first of april i never see the like said mrs partington as she slammed to the front door with a noise and jar that set everything to dancing in the house and the timid crockery stood with chattering teeth upon the little buffet in the corner it was wrong in her to say she had never seen the like for this was the fifth time that she had been called to the door by a violent ringing within half an hour and had found no one there hence anger so rarely an occupant of her mind but so justifiable now prompted the slamming of the door and the remark i never see the like it was the first of april and the occurrence was the more annoying for this reason she stood still by the door and watched stealthily for the intruder tapped her box easily and regaled her olfactories with a dusty oblation and held still the peal of the bell again startled her by its vehemence she opened the door and looked out but no one was to be seen 
as she turned away a string attached to the bell wire extending from the banister met her gaze and sitting quietly upon the stairs with a grin on his face that had a world of meaning in it and a world of fun in it said ike how the spectacle sparkled in the rays of her indignation she went for the rod which had long rested on the shelf but it had been manufactured three days before into an arrow by ike and as the chance of finding it diminished her anger cooled like hot iron in the air and the rogue escaped an inquiry answered does isaac manifest any taste for poetry mrs partington asked the schoolmaster's wife while conversing on the merits of the youthful partington the old lady was basting a chicken that her friends had sent her from the country oh yes said the old lady smiling he's very partially fond of poultry and it always seems as if he can't get enough of it the old spit turned by the fireplace in response to her answer while the basting was going on i mean said the lady does he show any of the divine flatters the old lady thought a moment as for the divine flatness i don't know about it he's had all the complaints of children and when he was a baby he fell and broke the cartridge of his nose but i hardly think he's he's had this that you speak of the roasting chicken hissed and sputtered and mrs partington basted it again bailed out so our neighbour mr guzzle has been arranged at the bar for drunkardies said mrs partington and she sighed as she thought of his wife and children at home with cold weather close at hand and the searching winds intruding through the chinks in the windows and waving the tattered curtain like a banner where the little one stood shivering by the faint embers god forgive him and pity them said she in a tone of voice tremulous with emotion but he was bailed out said ike who had devoured the residue of the paragraph and laid the paper in a pan of liquid custard that the dame was preparing for thanksgiving and sat swinging the oven door to and fro as if to fan the fire that crackled and blazed within bailed out was he said she well i should think it would have been cheaper to have pumped him out for when our cellar was filled after the city fathers had degraded the street we had to have it pumped out though there wasn't half so much in it as he has swilled down she paused and reached up on the high shelves of the closet for her pie plates while ike busied himself in tasting the various preparations the dame thought that was the smallest quart of sweet cider she had ever seen have you got a baby a bachelor friend of ours was riding upon a time through the state when he overtook a little girl and boy apparently on their way to school the little girl appeared to be a five or six years old and was as beautiful as a fairy her eyes were lit up with a gleam of intense happiness and her cheeks glowed with the hues of health our bachelor looked at her for a moment admiringly she met his glance with a smile and with an eager voice saluted him with have you got a baby he was struck aback by the question and something like a regret stole over his mind as he looked upon the animated and beautiful little face before him no he answered well she replied drawing her tiny form proudly up we have and passed on still smiling to tell the joyous news to the next one she might meet what a world of happiness to her was concentrated in that one idea the baby and in a joy she felt as if all must have the same delight as herself and it was a matter of affectionate pride to her that lifted her little heart above the reach of ordinary care for in the baby was her world 
and what else had she to crave such was the reflection of our friend and he remembered it long enough to tell it to us a home truth what a to-do they make about treating the slaves bad at the south said mrs partington and everybody strained their ears to catch an opinion that perhaps was fraught with the destiny of millions there was a slight tremor in her voice a sort of rumbling before the bustin of the volcano and her eye looked troubled as a lake by a fitful gust what a to-do they do make about it to be sure but some of our folks don't do much better i know a poor old coloured man here in boston that they treat jest like a nigger people ain't no better than scribes pharisees and hippogriffs that say one thing and do another there is truth in thy remarks o most esteemable mrs p our philanthropy we fear evading the just balance would be found often sadly wanting a seasonable pun fine gloves them said old roger as he held out his hand encased in a new pair he had just bought an assent was expressed but continued he can you tell me why a man is more likely to get taken in while buying gloves in the winter than in summer they couldn't i'll tell you then it's because they're more apt to get worsted very cold veins what is the matter with mrs jukes doctor asked mrs partington as dr bolus passed her house she had been watching for him for half an hour through a chink in the door and people who detected the end of a nose thrust out of the chink of aforesaid stopped an instant to look at it strongly inclined to touch it and see what it was she is troubled with varicose veins ma'am replied the doctor blandly do tell cried the old lady well that accounts for her very coarse behaviour then and it isn't any fault of her after all poor woman cause what is to be will be and if one has very coarse veins what can one expect ah we're none of us better than we ought to be good morning ma'am said dr bolus as he turned away and the old lady shut the door no better than we ought to be what an original remark and how candid the admission the little front entry heard it and the broad stair that led to the chamber heard it and ike heard it as he sat in the kitchen daubing up the old lady's pembroke table with flour paste in an attempt to make a kite out of a choicely saved copy of the puritan recorder we're no better than we ought to be generally mrs partington on vacation five weeks vexation in august said mrs partington when she heard that the school had a vacation for five weeks five weeks vexation it is a trying season for mothers and wearing and tearing to their patients and the jackets and trousers of the children talk about the relaxing from study i don't believe it's half as bad as the green apples they get in the country but i do love to see the little dears enjoying themselves frisking about like pigs in clover as happy as the days is long what an idea of freedom there is in a little boy with his face and hair full of molasses and fun and good nature be still you good for nothing cried she as ike attempted to take her snuff-box be still i say but it was not an anger for she felt in her capacious pocket and from away down under her snuff-box and thimbles and bone buttons and needles and pincushions and beeswax she brought up a ball of variegated hues and smiled as she gave it into his eager hand and bade him be a good boy torchlight patriotism hooray hooray 
yelled ike as he dashed in at the front door with a lighted torch swinging it over his head and spattering the oily fluid around upon the tables and chairs a drop even falling upon the snow-white table cover that lay folded up on a shelf the smoke of the torch filled the kitchen and rolled along the snow-white ceiling in murky volume to the great annoyance of mrs partington who always said if there was anything on earth that she held in utter excrescence it was ile what's to pay now said the dame rising and she heard through the floor the noise made by the unterrified democracy in torchlight procession assembled paul was a democrat and his sympathy kept time with the martial music quite a furrer said we to her as we recognized her a tremendous cheer interrupted us a few roar said she smiling i think it is a good many roar ah continued she i do love to see the unclarified democracy in possession with the torches a-blazing and the patriotism a-busting she felt patriotic her face was momentarily lit up with the emotions of her soul and the light of a roman candle and then the venerable countenance melted away in the darkness as the candle after making a great effort to sustain itself became exhausted and snuffed itself out mrs partington on suffrage how these men do talk about exercising the right of suffering said mrs partington as if nobody in the world suffered but themselves they don't think of our sufferings we poor creatures must suffer and say nothing about it and drink cheap tea and be troubled with the children and scar and scrub our souls out and we never say a thing about it but a man comes on regularly once a year like a farmer's almanac and grumbles about his sufferings and it's only then just to choose a garner after all these men are hard creatures to find out and ain't worth much after you have found em out this was intended as a lesson to margaret who was working charlotte and Werther on a blue ground at her side but margaret had her own idea of the matter and remained silent down with the tyrant ha ha down with the tyrant death to the spaniard shouted ike as he rushed into the kitchen brandishing paul's old artillery sword that had hung so long on the wall he struck an attitude and then struck the upright portion of the stove funnel till it rung with the blow and mrs partington with amazement on her countenance and the glass lamp in her hand stood looking at him ike had been reading the thrilling tale of the black avenger or the pirate of the spanish main and his intellects as sir hugh evans might say were absorbed by the horrible don't isaac dear said mrs partington as she spoke in a gentle but firm tone you are very scarifying and it don't look well to see a young boy acting so it comes i know of reading them yellow cupboard books you should read good ones and if you won't touch that again i will let you have my big bible king james aversion with the beautiful pictures i declare i don't know what i shall do with you if you carry on so i'm afraid i shall have to send you to a geological cemetery to get the old sanctuary out of you the point of the sword was lowered as it was making a passage for a dark spot in the centre panel of the door the eye of the boy so fiercely lit by the spirit of the black avenger became mild and laughing as he said he was only making believe and mrs partington gave him a penny as she disarmed him what a visible emotion of peanuts became manifest as he grasped the copper and made tracks for the door and climbed over the snow drifts to reach the grocer's opposite mrs partington and the clerk 
is the steamer signified sir asked mrs partington at the telegraph station yes m'm replied the clerk who was busily engaged turning over the leaves of his day-book can you tell me continued she if the queen's enroachment has taken place yet some say she's enroaching all the time said the clerk looking pleasantly at the old lady and evidently pleased with his own smartness that isn't possible responded the venerable dame but said she to herself how could he be expected to know about such things and yet there is no reason why he shouldn't for all the bastard signs not me and them things is let down nowadays and nater is shown all undressed like a puppet show sixpence a sight good morning sir said she as he bowed her out and as she passed down the stairs her mind grasping the manifold subjects of the telegraph queen and facilities and signs became oblivious in a fog thought for thanksgiving day this day long celebrated in new england again returns amid whose festivities the heart expands itself and awakes a new cheerful life though the whole year has bounded with selfish fetters and it has pursued unremittingly its aim of worldly gain or worldly advancement on this day all the avenues to its genialities are thrown open and troops of kindly feelings long strangers come thronging back to their early home as their possessors return on this glad season and revisit the source from whence they sprung it is a time of glee and a time of thankfulness the twin feelings of the season the joy of meeting after long separation the gathering of friendly faces about the generous board the hilarious song and the graceful dance the sports of childhood and the heart mingling of youth old enough and willing to love all are worship and offerings of thankfulness where sweet innocence lends a charm it was known months ago that tom was to come home from the city of thanksgiving he had been gone a whole year and when his great red face had disappeared it seemed for a while as if the sun had ceased to shine his first letter was an event in the lives of the old folks at home and tom's sisters and tom's sisters had to carry the letter all around the neighborhood that people might see how well he could write and what proper words he used and how he crossed his t's and minded his eyes but tom has written many letters since and the novelty has worn off but the affection around the old homestead is as bright as ever and tom is actually coming home to thanksgiving and the girls will pinch his red cheeks and tease him with their kindness as they used to do his last letter tells his father that he must have the mare at the depot by six o'clock the girls insist that they will drive down to meet him they are not afraid of a horse not they and go they will the house is swept and the wood is piled up in the best room fireplace and the floor is newly sanded and the chair with the new tidy that bella has knit is in its place for master tom when he comes for tom has got to be a character and it is a question if more preparation could be made for a king's reception the old folks talk of his coming and a softer expression than usual mingles in their voices and the clock is watched for the hour of his appearing here they are at last and the red-faced boy gets out father mother god bless you both and he is a child again the child of the old homestead and he loves every stick in the old house better than ever before tis not time to talk yet about the big city that is reserved for the evening when they are seated round the cheerful fire 
Now he must answer the questions about his health, and if his last stockings fitted, and what he thought when he heard his Aunt Deborah had got married, and if his cousin John had given him the little Bible his old schoolmistress sent him, they knew he had, because Tom had said so in a letter home, and if he heard that his cousin Sally had got a baby. Heavens! How the questions pour in upon him, and will until he gets his turn to ask, and theirs comes to answer. This is a picture sample of a thousand such. Freights of happiness are borne on every railroad car. The steam whistle of the locomotive conveys a thrill of pleasure to many a listening heart. The hum of business palls the ear that listens for happiness, and the shutters are put up for one day, the heart's jubilee. Though sin and excess may mark and mar its hilarity, an aggregate of joy remains to it commensurate with the virtue that remains to us. The noise of the turkey is heard in the land, ovations are made to the genius of plenty, groaning tables pave the way to groaning stomachs, and thankfulness works its way out between the scant apertures left in compact stomach stowage. Heaven give the rich heart to help the poor, and to make them thankful on this day, in spite of the 364 other days of hardship and privation. Peace inculcated better is a crust of bread and quietness therewith than a stolid ox in strife said mrs pottington as she heard the noise of rang in a neighbor's house it was a sunday morning and ike was cleaning his shoes by the door with a clothes brush why can't folks live in peace without distension how much people have to answer for that causes animosity in a neighborhood thank heaven i have never done anything of that kind that my conscience acquits me of with what a feeling this was uttered and the sunlight came into the window and looked through her specks down into her soul and it was as calm there as the bottom of a well not disturbed by ike's whistling old dan tucker as an accompaniment to his brush human nature seat eleven millionaires in an omnibus and seat between them one old woman who has but five coppers in the world which she intends to invest in that one right when the collector comes in and the old lady takes out her antique wallet to pay him it is curious to observe the avidity and eagerness with which the millionaires watch her operations and peep over to catch a glimpse at the interior of the wallet. This is human nature. Mr. Steadfast's soliloquy. Well, my mind's at last made up. I'm going against rum this election. I've made up my mind on that pint and there's no shaking me. When I say my mind's made up, folks may know what to depend on. Yes, I go against rum. It's time we looked about us. It's time the people got their eyes open to the evil, and I'm one of them. But, stopping suddenly, the party! What would the party say? I didn't think of that before. The party, of course, must be looked into. What could we do with our party? Where would the union be and our institutions and what do you call it? If it wasn't for the party, I should like to know. Parties are eagers. Our pal pal, what's his name? But I can't go against rum without going against party. If I vote against rum, and the temperance inspectors and constables and things are chosen, where would our institutions be? On our destiny as a nation and the respect of people abroad, who we don't care a copper about. And then if I vote for party and rum triumphs, it would go on, undermining our moral institutions and our physical constitutions. So hang me betwixt them both if I know what to do. Have it. I make a compromise between cold water and rum, and make it half rum and the other half rum and water. That's the ticket. And my mind's made up to vote it. When my mind's made up, there's no moving me.
Mrs. Partington ruralizing. Mrs. Partington and I were huckleberrying in the country, and a large swamp was barely canvassed to fill in the quart which she bore in her five-quart pail. She despaired of filling it. Look here, aunt, said I in a sort of confidential whisper. Look in there and see what a lot of em. There was a smile upon the face of the boy that betokened mischief, or it might have been a gleam of satisfaction at the prospect of filling the pail, but certainly a smile was round the little mouth, and the eye caught it, and a roguish twinkle like a sunbeam lay sparkling there. I see, said the old lady, and a moment later the log cabin bonnet, borrowed for the occasion, was seen about the tops of the bushes, its restlessness indicating its wearer's activity. Ike remained outside. Fizz! Buzz! What was that? Humblebee, as we are a sinner. Another and another. The log cabin was besieged, and Mrs. Partington rushed frantically from the bushes, swinging the tin pail and crying, Shoo! Shoo! with all her might. It was a trying time for the widow of Corporal Paul, and Ike did not escape, for a big humblebee attacked him, and he roared heartily with a sting upon his cheek. The laugh disappeared. At the recital of their troubles at home, people regarded the matter as a trick of Ike's, but how could he have known about the humblebee's nest being in there? Mrs. Partington avowed that she never was so frustrated by anything in her born days, and the people believed her. She thinks, notwithstanding the bees, that she would like to have a villain in the country and become an amateur farmer. Ventilation in the course of his rambles in the country, Mr. Spotgam called at a poor-looking house by the roadside to inquire the whereabouts of a trout brook which he had supposed to be in the vicinity. Some pretty children attracted his attention, and he stepped inside the door to play with them and invest a few cents in the refection. The father came in a moment afterwards and appeared somewhat confused to find a stranger in his humble domicile. "'Warm, sir,' said he, wiping his forehead. "'Wife!' Throw up the window and let us have a mouthful of fresh air. Mr. Spotcam looked at the window about to be thrown up and saw with pain that every square of glass had been broken out. His mind turned to a nice mathematical calculation in which he endeavored to make out the difference between the quantity of air received through an open window and one with no glass in it, and gave it up in despair. End of section 7